Well, I want to wrap up the message today, when you struggle with God. And all of us, from time to time, we have struggles with God. Sometimes those struggles manifest themselves in struggles with our family. They manifest themselves in struggles in our marriage, struggles with our relationships. Sometimes they manifest themselves in struggles with our finances, or maybe our employer, our employees. And maybe sometimes, I know this has never happened to you, but it's even the struggle with your neighbors. You ever had a neighbor that you've had to struggle with before? I um, am a part of two, two wonderful Facebook groups for neighborhoods. And it's amazing sometimes how neighbors don't mind sharing their conflicts on Facebook. Do you have any friends like that? They, they just don't mind saying whatever comes to their mind, putting those fingers to Facebook and putting it there. As a matter of fact, there was an article in the New York Times, not well, a few years ago, about how people react so quickly on social media and say hurtful things that separate friends and sometimes separate family members. Well, a lot of times, most of the time, I believe that the struggle that's going on is really a struggle between that individual and God. If you can't get along with everybody else in the world, guess who the problem's with? If the whole world stinks to you, guess who smeller is messed up, you know? If you're going through problems like that, then maybe the whole world, and if all of your friends, if they're all angry, if they're all negative, if they all think the world is going to hell in a handbasket, then maybe the problem is with you and your friends, and you're living in an echo chamber. There's a story in the Bible from Genesis 32 that we're going to be looking at about a man who struggled with God. And just a real quick synopsis of his life. He even struggled with his twin brother in the womb before they were born. And when his brother was born, he was reaching out, grasping his ankle as he tried to grab hold of his brother's ankle. Maybe he already wanted to be first. But in his life, he struggled because he wanted to be number one. He did not want to be in second place. His father was an interesting man. When we first meet Isaac, we just think, oh, what a wonderful man this is going to be. Isaac meets his wife, Rebecca. This is the man's mother that we're going to be talking about. Isaac meets his, his wife, Rebecca, while he's out in a field and he's praying and he's thinking or meditating. He's praying and meditating. They meet one another. They become husband and wife. And you read that wonderful story of Isaac's life and you think, this is a thoughtful man. This is a man that is going to do so much good in his life. But later we find out that Isaac and Rebecca have a dysfunctional marriage. Did you start out well in life? Did you start out doing good in life? Did any of you had that, that initial burst where you just started out real well and then everything just kind of fell apart? Well, that's what happened for Isaac and Rebecca. They now have a dysfunctional marriage. They have dysfunctional sons. Their sons are constantly battling with one another. The man we're going to be talking about, his name is Jacob. Jacob literally steals the birthright, then he steals the blessing of the firstborn from his elder brother Esau. He deceives his father, and because his mother colluded with him on this deception, he ends up having to run for his life from his father and from his brother Esau. 
He never got his father's approval, so he thought maybe he would get it from his Uncle Laban. When he gets to another country, he finds out his Uncle Laban is even a bigger cheat and a bigger deceiver than he is. So he couldn't find the blessing he wanted from his father. He couldn't find the blessing he wanted from his uncle. So he thinks he's going to find it in, in marriage. And so he, he meets this beautiful woman. He grows to love her. He asks for her hand in marriage. His uncle, his uncle deceives him because then he gives, he wakes up, he must have really got smashed. He woke up and he's in the bed with her sister and not her. He's angry. He goes to his father-in-law who's deceived him. His father-in-law looks like, if you'll work for me another seven years, you can have Rebecca too. Guys, don't ever be so dumb, as I said last week, to have two wives. And if you do, don't marry sisters, whatever you do. It's the worst mistake. This is a good day to talk about this on Valentine's Day. Because it ends up, both women get mad with Jacob. Both women get mad with each other. Jacob's home life now isn't giving him the satisfaction or the blessing that he thought it would give him. So he turns to work. Surely he'll find happiness if he works hard. He's prospered. He's blessed. And now... All of his relatives are jealous of him, so he has to flee from them. And he's literally now caught in a rock in a hard spot, a rock in a hard place, because his brother is coming to meet him with 400 armed men, and his relatives are on the other side saying, don't you ever come back here again. His life is a mess. I'm sure that some of you, like myself, your life was a mess when you met Jesus. Some of you, maybe everything was going peachy keen, and you met Jesus, and then everything fell apart. I've had people tell me, said, Pastor, everything went really great until I gave my life to Jesus, and then all of a sudden, they started having problems. We call that spiritual warfare. But for many of us, like myself, my life was just falling all apart until I met Christ, and Christ totally changed my life. Well, as we looked at last week, every one of us need an encounter with God. Every one of us need an encounter with God, and that's what happened with Jacob. Jacob was by himself. He had sent his family on ahead of him, and he had this personal encounter with God where God literally came and pounced upon him. Genesis chapter 32 and verse 24 puts it like this. Jacob was all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. So every one of us have to have this encounter with God. We know later from the story and later verses of Scripture that this man, God took on a human form. This man was God, and he came, and Jacob had this encounter. And that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for all of you that are watching today. It's my prayer for all of you that maybe will watch at a later time, is that you will have a personal encounter with God. I'm actually asking God to jump on you. I've asked God to, I've, I've just prayed this week. I took names out of our church roster. I took names of my friends in the community. I took names of my friends. If you're watching, they don't even know Jesus. And I know some of you told me you watch. I have asked the Lord, Lord, would you jump on them? Would you pounce on them? Would you wrestle them down and pin them to the ground until they know that you are there and that you have a plan for their life and that you love them? Well, when he wrestled, you need to understand this word wrestle is a very, very important word because it involves something that you and I need to understand. God is not afraid to get in close contact with you. God is not afraid to get in close contact with you. You see, sometimes God will come into your life in such a way that you have to wrestle with him. 
You know how you wrestled with your brothers or your sisters growing up. You know how maybe if you were a high school athlete or a college athlete and you, you wrestled, you know that's a close contact sport until someone is pinned or until someone is taps out or something of that nature. God gets you into that close spot where he just hems you in and wrestles with you, and there he touches your life. Because God wants this personal relationship. So all of us need to be touched by God. All of us need the touch of God in our life. You know, one of the things that I think is so important is understanding that when God touches us, He often touches us in the area of our greatest strength, not to use that strength, but because we have been relying upon that strength rather than relying upon God. So we all need to be touched by God. Say that with me. Touched by God. We all need to be touched by Him. But the second thing is that I want you to see is when God touches you, it's not in the area that you think you're particularly strong in. It's the area that you're, 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 you are weak in. And Jacob's strength was his weakness. Jacob's strength was his weakness. And so the Bible says that God touched his hip and wrenched it out of socket. God touched his hip, and, and the hip is, that's the core of your strength. That's where if you're an athlete, you wrestle from. You, if you're a football player, you push from. Everything is right there. And, of course, those of you who have gotten older, like myself, you know how important it is to keep your core strength because your hips are such an important part of their life. We have often learned that sometimes when elderly people break a hip, that, that it takes a long time to recover for them. And in that recovery, we have to help them with other parts of their lives, not just the healing of their hips, but with their lungs. We have to help them with their muscles so their muscles don't atrophy because so much of what we do is from our hips. And what used to be a death sentence is not a death sentence for elderly people anymore if they break a hip, but just because we've learned how to help them compensate during that time of weakness. Well, when God touches you, and your strength is gone, and you have nothing left to lean upon or depend upon, then God can bless your life. And every one of us need to be blessed by God. Can you say that with me? Blessed by God. And there's why I'd like to pick up this morning. You see, before every blessing in life, there is a crisis. Before every blessing, there is a crisis. And by the way, if you're listening or if you're here today and you didn't get the first message on this, go back and listen to last week's message because I, I go through those first two points in a much fuller way and treat it in a much fuller way that I think will help you with the rest of this message. But we need the blessing, but before the blessing, there's always a crisis. Let me illustrate that. We just took the Lord's Supper together. We took the emblems of the body and the blood of our Lord. Look at that cross with me for just a moment, if you would. And if you can throw the camera on the cross for just a second. Jesus lay down on that cross. And he, in weakness, stretched his hands out upon that cross. He, in weakness, stretched his feet out upon that cross. They nailed his hands. They nailed his feet to that cross. And they lifted it and suspended him between heaven and earth. And they mocked him and they jeered him as he hung there in weakness. But three days later, God raised him from the dead and power and strength. And he had conquered sin. He had conquered death. He had conquered the grave for you and for me. And Revelation 
Revelation tells us that he's coming back on a white horse, and he's coming back with eyes blazing like fire, and he scatters his enemies. His enemies are your enemies. He conquers his enemies, and he overcomes. Brothers and sisters, before every blessing, there is a crisis. You and I had the crisis of sin, and Christ took that upon himself. He went down in weakness, but he was raised in power and glory and strength, and he's coming again in even greater power and glory and strength. Can you say amen this morning? You see, before a crisis, there's a blessing. Now, you track with me on this, because if you go to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, prior to the blessings, there was no crisis. But after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, it was a crisis and then a blessing. And that pattern follows throughout the rest of the Bible. Jacob is now in conflict with God. He's ran from his father. He's ran from his brother. He's ran from his uncle Laban. He's run from his brother-in-laws. He sent his family on across the river ahead of him. He's by himself, and Jacob is in conflict now with God. And Jacob just says to God, God, I've had enough. I'm ticked off. I'm angry. Nothing is going right in my life. And the Bible tells us in Hosea chapter 12 and verse 3 that Jacob literally was wrestling with God. And in this wrestling match, Jacob just would not let go. He would not let go. As a matter of fact, if you look at Genesis chapter 32 and verse 26, the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. Now we know God came to him in a human form. Let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. God loves that kind of prayer. God loves that kind of passion. God loves it when you come to him. You're at the end of your rope. You're at the end of yourself. Your hip's out of joint. You, you just don't know what you're going to do anymore, but you grab hold of God and you say, God, I will not let go. God loves that kind of passionate praying because so many people, they just go on a whim. Oh, God, would you bless me? And then they don't remember it anymore. They go about their day. Or they get up and they have 30 seconds in the morning or maybe 30 seconds in the night and they say, oh, God, before I go to sleep. Would you bless me? Those aren't people that are passionate for the power of God. Those aren't people passionate for the blessing of God. Sometimes I find myself praying harder for people who make prayer requests than they made the prayer request for. I will call them and say, have you been praying about this? I've been praying. Oh, no, pastor, I, I haven't prayed. I don't want to lie to you, pastor. And I think to myself, why am I praying for you if you're not going to pray for yourself? God wants you to have some passion in your life. Can you say amen? When I look at my wife and I say, I love you, I want her to know I mean it. If I look at her and go, I love you back, boom, I'm gone. Do you think that she goes, huh? You know, when my kids grab me and hug me, do you know, I, I, I can't wait till we can start shaking hands and hugging necks again. But you know, you get that handshake from somebody and it's just like limp and yuck. Just don't shake my hand. I love when I get a hold of somebody and they shake it like they mean it. You see, passion has so much to do with life. The man says, let go. The dawn is breaking. But Jacob says, I will not let you go. I, 
I'm weak, I'm worn out, but I need the blessing of God in my life. When you've had enough of sin, when sin has taken you to places you never dreamed you would go, when sin has made you do things you never dreamed you would do, when sin has brought you to the place and you realize you've been there longer than you ever thought you would be there, and you come to God and you say, God, I don't know any way out of this but you, and I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to stop praying until you bless me. Or maybe you've been in control of your own life and you've called yourself a Christian, and maybe you've worked well, you have a nice address, you have a nice home, your wife and children dress nice, and everybody thinks everything is good in your life, but inside you're dying and you know it, and you get before the Lord, you say, God, I will not let go until you bless me. You have come to the place where God can do something in your life. People ask me sometimes, Pastor, why do you think signs and wonders are happening overseas? Why do you think the church is willing to die overseas and Americans don't even want to get up and go to bed, go to church on Sunday morning, or Americans are always looking to bless me? I'll tell you why. Because every single day their life is on the line. Every single day they're praying for another meal and for their children. And God is showing up in powerful ways. And in places like Indonesia, people who have never heard the name of Jesus are having dreams about Jesus, and they're seeking out pastors and churches and missionaries for somebody to tell them, because when you get desperate before God, you're a candidate to be blessed by God. You're not blessed because you're white, black, yellow, brown, or red. You are not blessed because you're American or European. You're blessed because you get before God and say, God, I will not let you go. That conflict that you're having right now, that's just a symptom the real problem is you've got to struggle with God. The real problem is your issue with God because all of your life, you've been calling the shots in your life. You've been saying, I'm going to do things my way. You've gotten in a hurry, and life has gotten messed up. Right after church, I prayed with someone in the first service, and they said, Pastor, you were talking to me. I've gotten in a hurry. I've gotten messed up. I didn't want to wait on God. Things aren't going well in your life. You aren't getting what you thought you would get in life. And yet, you're just at that place because you've messed up. You haven't come to the place where you've said, Jesus, be the Lord of all. You said, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. My greatest I'm not going to do. As a matter of fact, the only I'm not going to do, the only thing I ever said to my wife I wasn't going to do was I will never, ever, ever move to Detroit, Michigan. I've been here 22 years. Sometimes the blessings of God will take you further than you ever thought you would go. Sometimes the blessings of God will keep you longer than you ever thought you would go. And sometimes the blessings of God will just blow your mind to the good things he will do when you stop having your way and you let God have his way. You see, I will not let go until you bless me. The rest of that passage where Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Put the rest of that verse up there, please. God asked him, what's your name? God knows his name. God knows your name. God knows the answer to the question. But Jacob doesn't know the answer to the question. So God says, what's your name? And he replies, Jacob. Jacob means liar, cheat, deceiver. Jacob has to admit what he was to God. Jacob has to say, God, this is who I am. Who are you this morning? 
You see, back in the Bible days, you didn't name people a name because it sounded cool. You didn't give your child a name because it sounded good. We named our children their names because they have meaning to them, and they were prophetic meanings, we believe. We prayed over them. We asked the Lord to help us know what to name our children. And so when we gave them their names, it wasn't because it was the name of the year. It wasn't because it was a pretty name. It was because each of those names, their first name, their middle name, and their last name have meaning in their life because we wanted God to be God in their life. And so Jacob says, my name is Jacob. And God says to him, you're no longer going to be a cheat. You're no longer going to be a thief. You're no longer going to be a liar. But your name is going to be Israel. Anybody ever heard that name before? You ever heard the name Israel before? It's prince with God. It means like child of God or son of God. You rule with God because you have fought with God in men and you have won. He didn't defeat God, but what happens is he won when he submitted to God. You see, in that wrestling match, David, Jacob finally says, Lord, I tap out. Lord, I'm done. I can't win this. God had already told Jacob years ago he would bless him. But Jacob didn't believe God. And because he didn't believe God, his life went from bad to worse to worser, if worser is a word. And I want you to look at me right here this morning, every single one of you. God already promised to bless you. And the reason that some of us don't enter into the blessings that God has for us is because we sing, I'll have it my way, rather than say, Lord, have your way. He's the potter. I'm the clay. God changes his name, so every one of us need to be named by God. Every one of us need to openly confess our faults and examine our faults. Would you finish a sentence for me? Would you just think to yourself about this with me for just a moment? It is just like me to be. Would you just think about that for a moment? And because we're live, I, I can't just really hang around, but just it's just like me. Is it just like you to be honest? Is it just like you to be loving? Is it just like you to be kind? Is it just like you to be generous? Is it just like you to be humble? Is it just like you to trust God? Is it just like you to be tenderhearted? Is it just like you to be patient? You see, when God changes your name, when he touches that area that you're strong in because you think, I can trust my strength more than I can trust God. But when God touches and wrenches your hip, he changes your name. You see, as parents, you have the power to name your children. As parents, you have the ability to name your child. As parents, you named your children and you gave them your legal name. Occasionally, people have come to me and they said, you know, I, I, I need to change my name. I, I, I need a new identity. And I'll say, what do you mean you need to change your name? I, I've had these conversations with people. I had one individual years ago says, I have to change my name. I have to change my identity. I have to disappear. And, and when they explained everything, and I've never heard from them or never seen them since, but they've just totally disappeared 
spirit out of my life and the lives of others. And sometimes when I go back to George, I'll say, has anybody ever heard? No, we don't know what happened. They disappeared, a new name and a new identity. If you look for the old Dennis Clanton, you will never find him because it was just like him to be angry. It was just like him to be bitter. It was just like him to despise the church. I could tell you things about the old Dennis Clanton that is not true anymore because I have a new name. And we used to sing a song, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine because God changed my name and he changed my nature. Because naming something means you have authority over them. And when God gives you a new name, you give up the authority of your life to the authority of God. And that's how you become born again. God changes the name of a man who's hiding in a grain press, beating out a wine press, beating out some grain for his family. He changes his name from Gideon to mighty man of valor. He changes Jacob's name to, to someone that means prince with God. He changes Peter's name to the rock. He changes John's name from a son of thunder to a son of my beloved. He changes our name and he changes our character. Some of you your parents gave you a name that you've never been able to shake. Maybe they told you you were a loser. Maybe they told you you'd never amount to anything. Maybe they told you all kinds of negative things. Maybe a coach told you you'd never amount to anything. Maybe somebody else identified you as weak or worthless in life. When I worked in mental health, I can't tell you how many times a patient would sit there and tell us what a pimp had told them, what an abusive parent had told them, what someone had told them about themselves, and how that became their identity, and they lived that out. Some of them were told they were absolutely worthless, but when God saves you, he gives you a brand new life. He makes you a new creation. The old things passed away, and the Bible says all things become new. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I not only need to be blessed by God, but when God blesses me and changes my name, then God sends me. God sends me, and we all need to be sent by God. I want you to look at this verse with me just for a second. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Jacob was saved because he saw God. He realized who he wrestled with was God. Now, don't miss what I want you to get from communion and from here. The rabbi stood and said, may I say a blessing over you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And as a Christian, it made 2 Corinthians 4, 6 just explode into my heart because I have seen the face of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like, look at the face of Jesus. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine up you, upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Look at it with me. Give you peace. 
What God did was he picked up the pieces of my life that were shattered, and he gave me peace in my heart. God will take the pieces of your broken life, your messed up life, your life of running, your life of wrestling with God. God will pick up all of those pieces, and he will put your life back together and give you a new name, a new identity, and he will give you the peace of God that passes all understanding. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Oh, if you can see this. Well, the Bible goes on to say in Genesis 32, 31, the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel. Why was the sun rising? Because Jacob had a fresh start in life. He had a fresh beginning in life. You want to know how he had a fresh start? <laughs> because he had saw God. And when you see God, an angry brother is not as big as you thought he was. 400 men are not as fearsome as you thought they were. The debt collector is not as fearsome as you think the debt collector is. The past is not as powerful as you think the past is. That thing you're hiding from in your life is not as powerful as you think it is. I'm praying with someone right now, and I have permission to share this, but they're struggling for strongholds and bondages to be broken in their life as they sit with a counselor because somehow or another they're afraid if their past ever becomes known that everybody will forsake them. And I was able to hold them in my arms. It didn't matter that we're in the corona time, but hold them in my arms and say to them, God loves you. God will save you. God will deliver you because your past is not a predicator of your future. It's the blessing of God. It's the new name and the peace that God will give you. That's the predictor of your future, my friends. So stop letting the enemy and stop letting this world beat you up and bully you. There is a new day that God wants to do in your life where you rise up and you go forward in the future, not depending upon your strength, but depending upon the strength of God, for he will make you more than an overcomer. That's what it means to be sent by God. Well, would you look at your growth work with me this morning? Because I've got to wrap this up. Jacob built an altar, and he named it El Elohi Israel. There are two things that I notice about the Old Testament saints. They lived in tents, and they built altars. They lived in tents, and they built altars. Living in tents reminded them they were a nomadic people. They were looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. They knew that one day they were going to die, and everything you and I have worked for, we'll leave to our children. Hopefully, they'll manage it well. They'll leave it to their children. Hopefully, they'll manage it well, and they'll leave it to their children. But if history is any lesson, so often what's been left behind, if there's not a legacy of faith to leave it behind with, gets squandered. Because somebody thinks... Well, when dad dies and mom dies, I never got their blessing. Dad never told me he really believed in me. Mom never really was cheering for me. But once I get that money, I'll be somebody then. And there's always somebody wanting to help you spend your money to make you think you're somebody. You'll never know who you are till you know who you are in Christ. You're not product of evolution. You're not an accident. You were created in the image of God to know God, to serve God, and to love Him and enjoy Him forever and ever.
build a tent, realize that soon this life will be over, but build altars. Have places where you meet with God. I told the prayer service last night, don't ever think you have to come to this building to meet God. You can build an altar by your bed. You can build an altar by your kitchen table. You can build an altar in your living room. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and God works in you. Blaise Pascal says, not only do we know God through Jesus Christ, we only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. You will never know who you are, who God created you to be, until you know who Jesus is. The identity crisis that we're having in America where Supreme Court judges are being asked to decide because people are confused about who they are. Senators are trying to debate how do we help people know who they are. You know, presidents have debated how do we help people know who they are. I mean, people are even confused now whether they're a boy or a girl. The reason there's this confusion is because the further away the culture moves from Jesus Christ, we lose our identity. We lose who we are. We only know ourselves through Christ. You're never going to know yourself through money. You're never going to know yourself through power. You're never going to know yourself through pornography. You're never going to know yourself through the ways of this world. But you will know who you are through and in Jesus Christ. If there's any blessing that God will give you, it's the blessing of identity. You will delight in who you are. You say, Pastor, do you like yourself? Oh, yeah. I think I'm kind of fun to live with. Is that true? Yeah, it's a good time when you're on camera to be put to ask that question too. I think you're fun to live with. But if I've ever met anybody who knows who they are, it's you, Becky. You see, identity, it's a gift of God. You say, Pastor, do you like everything about yourself? Oh, I don't like it when I'm impatient. I don't like it when she's impatient. <laughs> No, but that's why I have to come every day and say, Father, forgive me of my sins. It doesn't mean that we're cocky. It doesn't mean we're conceited. But when you know who you are in Christ, I love being a pastor. I had a pastor tell me, he says, I don't let people call me preacher. I don't like anybody to call me a preacher. I says, I'm a preacher. As a matter of fact, I feel good about that. He goes, well, I think there's just this backwards image that comes up in my mind. I said, what image comes up in my mind is the Apostle Paul. He was a preacher of the gospel. He took joy in preaching. I'm comfortable being, let me be sure I say this correctly. I'm comfortable being a southerner living in the north. Somebody asked me, says, don't you think it's time you gave up your Georgia identity? Heck no. I love boiled peanuts. I love Georgia football. I love peaches and peach blossoms. And I don't think there's a prettier city in the entire United States in the springtime than Savannah, Georgia. But do I love my new home in Michigan? Absolutely. Do I love my neighbors in Michigan? Absolutely. Because I'm building tents and I'm building altars. This world is not my home. Heaven is my home. So here's what I'd like you to do. 
Confess who you are, the power of confession. Confess who you are in Christ. And this morning, if you're not a Christian, confess that to God and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Have mercy upon me. You see, there's power in confession. When you admit who you are and what you are to God, when you admit who you are and what you are to God, you open yourself up for God to bless you and give you a new identity, give you a fresh start in life. Things aren't working out the way you hoped they would work out. I'm asking you to turn to God this morning. Everyone, listen to this, everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. There's a couple that's moving from our city to another city further north. Their jobs are transferring them. We have been so close. Our hearts have been so connected ever since they first gave their hearts to Jesus right here at this church and became members of this congregation. God has done wonderful things in them, and I love them so much. And what hurts is when I hug them goodbye, knowing that we'll no longer see each other every week. And you've said goodbye to loved ones in a cemetery. You've said goodbye to loved ones who've gone overseas, perhaps. But you'll never say goodbye to God because God will never, ever let go of you. Jacob's story is a good story of that. God had already promised to bless Jacob. And though for years Jacob kept doing things his way until God finally said, Jacob, it's time I'm pinning you to the ground. And maybe God's got you pinned right now. Isn't it time to tap out? Isn't it time to recognize these circumstances are probably of God that have brought you to this place? And I have a feeling that a lot of what America is facing right now is America is wrestling with God. Don't you wrestle with God. You tap out and say, I surrender. Because anyone who belongs to Christ becomes a new person. And the old life is gone. A new life has begun. So own your new life. Celebrate who you are in Christ. And understand your life goals are going to change. You're suddenly going to want to live for the glory of God and not for yourself. And when you begin to live for God, your habits will change. And you say, Pastor, how do I know that? Well, Jacob... He's coming to meet his brother. And now that he's met God and he's seen him face to face, he's no longer afraid of Esau. Instead, he's humbled himself before God. Now he humbles himself before his brother. And when he meets his brother, he calls him my Lord. That's a way of saying, I submit to you. I humble myself before you. And Esau... Esau's heart had changed from he'd come with 400 armed men. Esau wanted to kill his brother. But now Esau takes and he embraces his brother and he hugs and he kisses his brother on the sides of the cheek and they weep. And God is fulfilling what he says in his words that when a man's ways are pleasing to God, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. His habits change. Jacob, who had tried to get everything for himself, he'd stole from his brother, stole from his father, cheated his uncle, cheated every way you turn, now Jacob becomes generous. And people will know who you are, not because of the words you say, 
but because your habits change, your life goal change, because your identity has changed, you're now a new creation in Christ. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me this morning and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I love you so much. As we stand in your presence, I pray right now that there will be people that will just say, Lord, I'm tapping out. I yield. I surrender. I give up, Lord. I give it all to you. Father, whatever we've been leaning on, if it's been the strength in our hips, whatever it's been, God, help us to no longer lean upon that, but lean upon you. And if this is the first time you've ever asked Christ, you've ever prayed this prayer, kind of prayer, would you just look me here right in the eye? I want to talk to you and pray with you. Would you pray just like this with me? Would you say, Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing me to the place that you've pinned me to the ground. I'm tired of trying to manipulate the circumstances. I'm tired, Lord, of being a deceiver. I'm tired, Lord, of my sin. I'm asking you to forgive me and come into my heart. Come into my life and make me a brand new person in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And I promise you, if you did that, God has heard your prayer. God is changing your name, and he's giving you a brand new identity in Christ. I love you. I'm so glad you're here. And if you prayed that, Pastor Corey's going to come and tell you about a Bible I'd like to give you and send you. It won't cost you a thing, but I hope it'll help you grow. And you can always email me right here at office at woodland.church. I'll be more than happy to respond to you. Lord bless you. Pastor Corey. Thank you, Pastor. If you prayed that prayer today, we have this book that we'd love to give to you. If you're here right now, as you're exiting, just stop by one of the tables and just ask for this, and we'll be glad to give it to you. If you're watching right now, if you want to email us at office at woodland.church, we'd be glad to send this to you as well. This is going to help you in your next steps in your journey in your faith. And so please, make sure you let us know that you prayed that prayer, and we want to get this into your hands. Also, don't forget to give as you're exiting today. Place those... Um, communication cards into the offering as well. And um, we love you and have a wonderful week. God bless you.